Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and uh, we are back with none other than Wheel of Time scholar and <laughs> gentleman, Jeremy Greathouse. How are you Hi, doing, Carlo. Jeremy? Oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I don't know if I would describe myself as a Wheel of Time scholar, but um, I am currently rereading the series, so I, I it is in the front of my brain in a way that it hasn't been since I read it like Bra- when it was braver, first over honestly braver than the troops i i am not going to reread <laughs> any of the books that i initially read for wheel of time there's uh, like there's the navy seals and then right under there there's me reading yeah the there wheel you go of time again yeah you know uh although you know to, to be fair uh if if the navy seals just packed their uh vests their ready vests with wheel of time uh volumes they could pretty much stop bullets i think yeah right? Yeah, probably. I don't know how well if that would one, go with like amphibious actions because then their body armor would get all soggy. But well, you know, it's yeah. paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, so uh, today we're going to be discussing uh, episodes three and four. I don't remember the what is it? Uh, I forget the third one, but the fourth one is uh, the dragon. The dragon reward. It's a a place of safety is episode three. I've got the uh, the IMDb pulled up. I was just rereading the synopses is, is to remind myself of like exactly what happens mm-hmm. in these two See, episodes. There, there, there you go. It, scholar, ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kings, queens, and uh, non-binary regimes. Here we have it. A scholar. He pulled up the IMDb page. Something I did not do. Uh, there you go. There's, there's a scholarship right there. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so um, I, I was actually I rewatched these today, and uh, and honestly, like I do feel like episodes three and four really sort of um, they 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 really get into it uh, and speed things along, and I felt like uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff moving that um, it I feel like the the first two episodes. I feel like I'm giving it, I'm damning them with faint praise because I feel like they, they did a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, here there's a lot more sort of a little bit more, a little bit of character work, a little bit of um, expanding of the world and of the danger therein. And it really, uh, I think it hits a lot of really good notes, but um, probably not, uh, you know, there's a couple of notes that, you know, ring, ring false here and there. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't tell you because I didn't reread any of it. So. <laughs> what do you say, yeah. Jeremy? <laughs> I, I So I actually think the fourth episode might be one of my favorite episodes of the entire first season. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because of the way that they handle Loghain, um, 
and then Lan, Moraine, and Nynaeve, and the other Aes Sedai that they interact with in these two episodes, that whole like way of, of doing their story is so much better than what they have Lan, Moraine, and Nynaeve doing in the book, which is basically nothing um, for a, a long time. They're just sort of traveling, and Nynaeve is mad at Moraine, and they don't do anything. And they actually like kind of disappear from the book for a good chunk. And then they show up again in Camelin when everybody get, is showing up there. Um, so I thought it was like a great use of those characters to have them interact with some other Ace to die to show more of like what was going on with Loghain or what's going on with Loghain. Because in the books, again, he's a character who like you see a couple of times and then he doesn't really become important until like the third book. Mm-hmm. Um and then he becomes like as the series goes on, he kind of becomes increasingly important um, in a way that I would not have expected just from like the way he's treated in the first book. He feels kind of like a one off character in the first book. But the way like what they did with him in the show is a lot better. The parent and you green stuff is good. I think they get some good moments to shine in these two episodes. But the Matt and Rand stuff like was n- sort of disappointing to me. On the one hand, I understand why it is the way it is, because in the book, it's a lot of them traveling from town to town, uh, killing various dark friends or getting almost killed by various dark friends. And and Rand is slowly going crazy. And like Matt is slowly going crazy because of the corruption of the dagger that he took from Shadar Lagoth. Uh, and it's not very like in the book, it's fun because it's like an adventure they're on. And you're worried about like, is, you know, is Matt going to lose it and do something crazy? But I think condensing that into just a couple of beats instead of it being like 200 pages of novel is is a better way to go. <laughs> the problem I have with it is that by doing that, you lose a lot of character establishment for Rand that is, I think, important to the series going on. And we can talk about that more later, maybe. But my other big gripe is I do not really like the portrayal of Tom Marilyn in this show at all. Uh, and that might be one of my biggest complaints of the entire first season. Uh, oh, Tom Marilyn in the show sucks. I, oh no, 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 <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> Although I, I will, I will say that um, in, in the books, because of what you just described, uh, he he's in there for a little longer. So you, oh, yeah. you do end longer. up, yeah, you do end up getting a little bit attached to him, and you wonder if he, if you know, what happens, which. We, we could get to that in a bit, but you know, uh, you, you wonder if he'll show up again. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I don't know. I, I sort of, uh, see, this is the thing about adaptations because in, if I remember correctly in the books, Tom Marilyn is, uh, is basically like a very old dude. Um, he's, uh, like a, Bard, they call him a gleeman. Yeah, uh, so he's sort of like a. Uh, well, there's a very he, important distinction between bards and gleeman in the Wheel of Time universe. Oh, go Carla. no! <laughs> Please, uh, so, uh, Wheel of Time scholar, tell me about yeah. all about this. So, gleeman are like the traveling minstrels who would play in roadside taverns and stuff, and that's what Tom Marilyn is doing. Uh, when you meet him is he's he's a gleeman he actually in the book he's there at like the beltine festival um when the trollocs attack and so he's basically with them from the beginning mm-hmm. um but the the a bard in the wheel of time universe is somebody who like works for the nobility and spoilers i guess tom Marilyn was a bard 
and then has sort of fallen from grace and is now a gleeman. And so he has like an interesting skill set around that where he's a lot more than he seems at first. And that's kind of why I think a lot of people really love him in the first couple of books, because he's one of the more like intriguing characters who's sort of likable in a way that like Moraine and Lan aren't um, because he's got more personality to him. Well, I mean, also Maureen and and Lan are very aloof. Um, mm-hmm. They 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 represent entrenched power. Um, I'll, I'll say this, and the more I think about it, um, the more there's a an overarching feeling that uh, like the two rivers. You know, it's sort of like um, there's a definite feeling throughout, like the old country that the two rivers uh, is in. That has you know sort of like fallen on between the cracks of different kingdoms, or it's yeah. not really paid attention to. But it, it definitely feels like you know a very much a fantasy. The South will rise again, which um, <laughs> is a very well. I mean, it yeah, it, it feels that way, right? Because kind of yeah. Um, you know, you you sort of think about it and you go, well, you know, these are very. Um, like uh, the two rivers folks are very self-sufficient. They're, they're almost like a, um, like a stereotype, right. Of the self-sufficient yeoman farmer type of thing mm-hmm. where, you know, they don't need no help from no one. They can take care of their own. Oh yeah. You know, and the, yeah, and, the, and the, the old blood runs strong through them, whatever that means. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels like fantasy Appalachia. <laughs> Rand Rand fell in with a bunch of fantasy hillbillies. Yeah. Well, there are there are the like in the middle of nowhere, right? And uh I think that like I I've read a few things like interviews and stuff with Robert Jordan where he doesn't come out right and say that exactly, but he is like from the Carolinas and he mm. does uh talk about how like in his mind Wheel of Time is a very American fantasy in the way that like Lord of the Rings was a very British fantasy. So there might be something to that. Like it, I wouldn't be surprised if some of that sort of Appalachian uh, Southern, you know, attitude well, I, is reflected in the two rivers. I, I did not know that. Um, but that sort of, I think it, it makes it stronger in my mind because yeah. even, even two rivers makes me think immediately of Harper's Ferry. Mm hmm because of the confluence of the two rivers that come together there. Uh, yeah. and, and it became central to the entire conflict in the U S right. Uh, right. Of the civil war and whatnot, what led to the civil war, I should say. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, that, uh, just, just as, uh, I'm sure Tolkien would, uh, you know, chafe at, uh, everyone asking, is this a, an allegory for world war two? Um, I'm sure <laughs> mm-hmm. that Jordan would have chafed at, uh, you know, someone asking him if this was like somehow fantasy s- civil war era type stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't, I think like, I, I see the cultural parallels between the two rivers and like this, the, that part of the country. I don't know if I see, any other strong parallels to any particular American history? Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes I mean, sense. other, I think other than, than maybe the, the self-sufficiency type yeah, of yeah, yeah, idea. Yeah. Right. Right. That cultural mm-hmm. aspect to it. Yeah. Um, but in any case, um, 
so the the third episode is basically them basically like Egwene and Perrin running off in one direction. Like we ended yeah. the the second episode with them going off in one direction and Rand and Matt going on off in another direction, and then Lan and uh, Moraine uh, heading off in yet another direction. Uh, <laughs> yes, and I forget uh, because Moraine. Was she wounded in the books the way she's wounded no, in the show? She is not. Um, I mean, she, okay, so not in not to the same extent. Like when they escape from Shadar Logoth, uh, like they're all separated, and I think Moraine and Lan- Moraine's like exhausted from using the power to try to like get away from Shadar Logoth and stuff. Uh, but she's not like hurt. So that was kind of an interesting change. And then the other thing is like um th- the way that er- that like Moraine Nineave and Land get together at that point is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh cuz in the book Nineave has like been following them for a while and she she doesn't I think she find oh, I can't remember exactly how it plays out, but it's it's not like in this where Moraine and Lan escape from Shadar Logoth and then they're like on the beach and they lost everybody and then Nine A finds them because she's been tracking them forever. Um I'm trying to remember off the top of my head how that happens though in the book. But it's it's definitely like they changed a lot there, but I think that the way they changed it made it work better for TV because it takes mm-hmm. Moraine out of the picture for a little while and kind of forces nine even land to deal with some stuff yeah yeah uh but you know in in so in that um sequ- in those sequences they each sort of get paired off with with characters that are not exactly their uh like i i guess matt could have gone either way but like it, it's interesting to see perrin and Egwene um sort of paired together in sort of like their own mini bottle episode for like for a little bit in, in the episode. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're supposedly being pursued by wolves, uh, you know, and you know, the wolves are howling and they, they, they're, they're chasing them. And, uh, but I think, isn't it at the beginning of this one or is it in the previous episodes where parent actually, uh, like they, they confront him, but they don't attack him. They just sort of look like the wolves just, there's a bunch of wolves. They just look at them and sort of don't do anything. They just sort of like, Hey, what's up? I think that's in this episode. If I remember correctly, like at the beginning or something. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it's, if I remember right. And I haven't watched it for a while. Uh, it's when they kind of like get first out of Shadar Logoth and they're like, mm-hmm. he's trying to find a And then like, I think he sees some wolves and they just sort of leave him alone yeah the, but, the wolves yeah. sort of like stand there and it, it it is a very much like the wolves are looking at him like sup hi what's going on how you doing <laughs> mr how you man doing? <laughs> how you doing buddy <laughs> you gonna, gonna tell us to do anything we, we, yeah. we'll do whatever you say um uh not not to spoil anything about a book that's been around for, for what is it 20, 20 years? years yeah <laughs> more than 20 years um it's virtually a classic. Give it, give it, give it ten more years, and people will be like uh, condemning Wheel of Time as you know, ah, classic. You don't need to read that crap. Well, um, <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, the author is dead, and 
at the bookstore I work at, that's one of the criteria for shelving something in the classic section. <laughs> there you go. He he was he was white too, so mm-hmm. getting more sus by the minute. Yeah. Um but but yeah, so um so Egwene and uh, Perrin are together and uh there's sort of like they're starving, they're cold. Um and uh, th- there is a, a really I I liked the uh, sequence where they're trying to build a fire to that keep the good. wolves yeah. away. Yeah, and it, it leaves it up in the air, but it's very strongly hinted that uh, you know that parents like sitting there like frantically you know apologize very British apologizing <laughs> while he's trying to help um, uh, <laughs> as he's trying to make you know the flint sparks you know and cutting himself with his own dagger as he. Uh, uh, you know, hits the flint with his dagger and try to create sparks. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, I'm trying. And then, uh, Egwene does like a little hand motion and suddenly there's a fire and you're like, Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I think that that was cleverly done in a way where in the, in the show, I f- they had sort of hinted that, you know, Egwene, is a, she's capable of channeling, right? Maureen kind of established that already. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of showing that she's already starting to learn how to do it basically on her own, because unlike in the book, she hasn't really gotten any lessons from Maureen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's fine because like part of the whole point of her character is that she's like one of the most talented Aes Sedai prospects in like generations. So mm-hmm. But and it was also well, like just a, a subtle, clever way to like, oh, she can do magic. Ooh, oh, I mean, it's also like a small thing, right? It's yeah. not, it, it, and it's not like, um, and I, God, I hate using this as, as a as a comparison, but it's not like um, in the Force Awakens where Ray just gets onto the Millennium Falcon and just knows how to fly the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, no, no reason. Right. Oh, oh, it must be the Force. You're like, no, that's. You got to sort of establish some sort of learning curve happening. You have to have small successes and sometimes failures happen, which I think this would count as a small success, Mm -hmm. uh, which also it's left sort of open for you to wonder, oh, did she or didn't she? It's not made super clear, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's strongly hinted that, yes, she she actually channeled. She was able to weave uh, air and fire together and make, you know, a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I suddenly said that suddenly sounded like uh, like Avatar, the last airbender or something. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, so then uh, not long after that, they they uh, they they're surrounded by a group of people Um who then asked them, do you know the song? Yeah. And uh, these are the tinkers, uh, which I always took to be sort of like um, a, a, a sort of like fantasy Roma people, you know? I That is definitely how they're written in the books. Um, because there's the whole like thing where the t- people in the two rivers are sort of racist towards them. Uh, and... <laughs> They're like, yeah, when the tinkers come around, you get them to mend your your metal works and your tools and stuff because they're good at that. But you got to watch your kids because sometimes they steal kids. Uh, <laughs> so it's definitely like it's not subtle. It's it's uh, directly a sort of uh, export of 
you know, the Roma people. And more specifically, I don't think it's the actual like Roma culture at all, but it's absolutely <clears throat> exporting the stereotypes and like racism around the Roma people. And that's the ra- same exact racism that people in Wheel of Time world have towards the Tinker people. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not saying that they are exactly yeah a one to one, but yeah, they they are they're sort of like uh, the um sort of like the 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 fantasy extract yeah of of that uh, like an extract of uh, the Roma people. Uh, a little drop was dropped into the the Tinkers or the what is it? The people of the leaf is that the- what they call themselves? Uh, the, they follow the way of the leaf. They the call way themselves the, the Twatha'an, which I don't remember what that means in mm. whatever the old tongue, the the Wheel of Time old language. Um, but yeah, so like Tinker is even a pejorative that they don't refer to themselves as. Uh, yeah. Oh no, we've been doing fantasy <laughs> racism already. Fantasy, fantasy slurs. Oh no. <laughs> No, Jeremy, why didn't you stop me? You're the scholar here. Yeah, my bad. I dropped the ball. Whoops. Well, you know, I mean, we'll uh, get I also canceled the, the way the way of the leaf also sounds suggestive in a, a totally different way that I'm sure Jordan did not mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, because like the at the same time, the Twatha and like have really bright clothes and they're kind of psychedelic and they they're the hippies. Right. So <laughs> I'm not hippies. sure that that's not on purpose. They, they have fantasy. They, they smell of fantasy patchouli. And uh, yeah, the, they are the they are the fantasy hippies in they're the, the pacifists. The way of the leaf is basically just like a, a hardcore version of pat, like vegetarian or it's not vegan, but oh. vegetarian pacifism. Oh, no. oh no! Yeah, they're 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 deadheads. That's that's the song. <laughs> that's the song the that song. they're looking for. <laughs> they're looking for the Grateful Dead. It's like <laughs> there was supposed to be a concert around here somewhere, but we can't just, find it. They just follow their favorite jam bands. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh <Yeah>. no! <laughs> but during the anyway. breaking of the world, uh, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to destroyed. It's hard to, to 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 organize concerts in the post apocalypse, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, so uh, they meet up with uh, the the what is it the Tuathan Tuathan yeah T U A T H A comma or no apostrophe A N no. lots of apostrophes in wheel time. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, Jordan did actually uh, come from that particular school of like just add apostrophes yeah. to stuff. Yeah. Um it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's um, whatever. Uh so in any case, um, so they 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 walk with them for a little bit and you know, they they learn the ways of the leaf. Yes. Um for a little bit. Uh I forget where they just part ways with them, right? They they Well sort of no, leave. no. It gets more so it, in the book, yeah. In the book, eventually they just sort of like there, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens with Perrin and Egwin in the book that doesn't happen in the show, but eventually they just leave because um, they want to go to Tarvalin, uh, but the Tuatha'an don't, and so they kind of just peace out. In this, there's like a whole confrontation with the White Cloaks and the 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 Tinkers they're with, like oh, that's fight right. with the White Cloaks, kind of. Although they don't really fight, they just sort of form a wall. Um, mm-hmm. Although that yeah. that ha- does that have that happens a little bit further ahead, right? Yeah. So in the th- in later, I think it's um, in the Shadow Rising, the fourth book. Um, there's a bunch of stuff going on, and Perrin's back in the Two Rivers, and there's Trollocs attacking the Two Rivers, and there's White Cloaks there also, 
and there's some tinkers nearby and there and that's when there's like a a battle sort of where the the white cloaks uh and the tinkers get into it um because the white cloaks don't like the tinkers either but also there's like trollocks involved so it's uh yeah it's in the eye of the world uh that the tink the like twaza and white cloak thing doesn't really pop off but um they i i understand why they did that in the again like there are things that they added to the these like this episode that fourth episode even the fifth episode that i think are good and one of them is like having the white cloaks brutalize the twatha and because that like helps ca- clarify for anybody who was still confused after you know <laughs> meeting Eamon valda the for the first time yes no the white cloaks are the are bad they're they're, they're not good people they beat up pacifists are are, are they the baddies mm-hmm. um but also I, I i mean from the other uh side of it i would i would definitely understand like even though you you know even if you didn't know what you already know about the white cloaks the white cloaks are very much the sort of like the epitome of that saying like you know for for evil to you know for evil to succeed in the world uh good people can uh, all, all good people need to do is nothing you know or whatever mm-hmm. so they they are they they feel that they need to be militant against evil but of course you know then there's a bit of mission creep happening there um, right yeah and and their perception of like what is good and what is evil is totally skewed and that's actually i think one of the more interesting themes in the series is how their fanaticism to be good is almost as harmful if not just as harmful in, in a lot of cases as like dark friends who are actively trying to be evil um because it's it's the same sort of like uh destructive force is just directed in a different way. The white cloaks will kill you if they think you're bad, but they'll never listen to you. Try to explain yourself. They'll never compromise. Um, and also they have no idea what they're doing. Like <laughs> their, their sense of right and wrong is badly skewed. Um, and I, like they're, they're interesting villains. I had forgotten how much I liked them as villains until I got to like where I am in the series now. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my reread there you go yeah um i mean th- they they are very interesting as a as a conceptual thing i think that um well i think we we talked about that last time that you know jordan lo- loves to write <laughs> yes he, he does. loves <laughs> writing uh and he wrote so much more than he absolutely needed to uh for, yeah. for the white cloaks um yeah uh, also, you know, like th- there is, I think that there is a little bit of ham handedness around the white cloaks, even in the books where, you know, you're supposed to immediately sort of cotton to the fact that these guys are a little too militant, you know? Yeah. Um, right. There's I, not to get too much into it. The, the thing that I think is interesting about them is there are a couple of characters who are, who become white cloaks out of like a genuine like good desire to do what they think is the right thing and then like uh Galad who is one of a character who's not in the show Elaine um he's not in the show yet anyway her older brother joins the white cloaks cuz he's like a good person and he wants to do the right thing all the time mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of the stuff with the white cloaks isn't super interesting but a lot of the stuff in general in wheel of time isn't super interesting it's just kind of <laughs> fleshing out the world beyond any reasonable degree of necessity. Um, But the stuff with Galad as a white cloak is interesting because it's like forcing him to confront this problem of his 
his idea of right and wrong is incomplete or his idea of, of doing good might cause him to do harm to people. Um, well, yeah. So like the, the white cloaks are interesting. I think that the, having the tinkers and the white cloaks get into a little scuffle is a good way of getting a queen and Perrin away from the tinkers in an exciting way, rather mm-hmm. than it just being like, well, this is about as far as we're going. <laughs> Yeah. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> we heard there's a great concert up ahead. There yeah. might be a good song there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Are you guys sure you don't want to go to the dead? I mean, it's a great show. You should see it. It's a great show, once. man. Uh, so yeah. Um, let Let's take a moment because um, the next episode, uh, episode four, which is um, it, it, I think that's the one that is got a lot of meat on its bones. Yeah. I mean, we we do get like a little bit of um, back and forth with Rand and uh, and Matt in in this one, uh, you know, where where uh, I, I I you know I I really I really do like the uh, portrayal that um, Barney Harris does for Matt because uh, he he does look sort of seedy and unreliable. You know, yeah, I think it's good casting. Uh, I, I, I would not trust this guy. Like I, if I told him here, hold my wallet, I would not expect any money to be in it by the time <laughs> he, I get it back. Yeah. Um, he might, he might, um, uh, yeah, give it back with all my IDs in it, but you know, that's good mm-hmm. at least. Uh, although we don't know if he would have opened up five credit cards under my name, you know? Yeah. Um, but but I do like Barney Harris in the role. He's he's very um, also very sort of. Uh, it's weird. He's he's almost like he's in a different show, and I think that that might be why you think uh, like you don't like. Um, what is it uh, Alexandre William? Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Uh, <laughs> who who plays uh, Tom Marilyn? Because yeah. they both feel like they're they're like actually acting for a different genre of show. You know, yeah, like like uh, the Matt the 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 guy playing Matt is playing like Matt if he was like in Snatch, like in a. <laughs> In a Richie movie, right? Yeah, the guy yeah. Richie movie. And yeah. then uh the guy playing Tom Marilyn is playing like a version of like some sort of old West dude. Right. <laughs> Which no, is that's, great. I think that's right. I go oh, go on, sorry. No, no, I I just think that I that was what made me sort of sit up a little bit because um the Tom Marilyn which I understand your 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 concerns or your 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 dislike of uh, actually sort of works for uh-huh. the screen because it's sort of like this weird, it's like a, a mashup. It, like suddenly they're in this mining town and it makes perfect sense because it's like this mining town. You're like, Oh, you know, like in the old West, of course. Right. <laughs> like a bunch of prospectors. Um, yeah. So, so let me kind of lay out my, my frustrations with the Tom Marilyn portrayal in the show. So it has less to do with him being like kind of a cowboy or or a little bit rougher around the edges than he is in the book. And it has more to do with his general like presence in the sh- in the story is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the book, Tom is sort of just there and he's with them because he he needs to get out of the two rivers and there's Trollocs around and he needs an escort. Right. 
Like basically the safest way to leave would be to leave with Lan and Moraine because they obviously know how to fight. Um, and so from the beginning, he's just kind of a, a dude who's hanging out with them. But you very gradually see a relationship develop between him and Rand and him and, and Matt and to a lesser extent him and Perrin where they kind of develop this like, like Tom does not trust Aes Sedai. He doesn't trust Moraine. And he's like basically the main reason that Rand and Matt and Perrin also continue to distrust Moraine, despite the fact that like she saved them in, in the two rivers and stuff like that. Cause he's like constantly trying to kind of remind them like she has her own agenda. She's got her own thing going on. You can't trust Aes Sedai. Yes, they can always, they always tell the truth literally, but they can like twist their words, stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's almost like the voice of reason character for the first like half of the book for like the whole party. And then once the once everybody gets split up and it's him and and Matt and and um, Rand escaping, he's like the only reason that they're able to survive <laughs> for right, quite right. a while because he's like a glee man. So he can make their way. They have no resources. They have no money. So he kind of becomes like their dad and he's playing in, in taverns to get them like the ability to sleep and they're posing as his students and they're learning how to like juggle and play the flute and do all this stuff. And it's like, it's the kind of thing where narratively it's very slow, but character wise, it's really good because it may, it gives you things that like humanize all of these guys way later in the series. Like there are moments in book six when Rand is thinking about like, when was the last time I just took a minute to play the flute? Like, I've gotten so far away from just doing the stuff that I like to do, like play music and hang out with my friends because I'm just constantly having to deal with shit because I'm the Dragon Reborn. And it's like this really kind of heartstring tugging moment. And so the reason I don't like what they did with Tom Marilyn in this show isn't necessarily anything to do with the performance. It's that I think just slotting him into two episodes instead of like giving him a presence that can kind of. Get, help the other characters develop and like resonate with the other characters to make a more dynamic sort of version of Rand and version of Matt than what we get. Uh, it just it robs the character of a lot of his purpose in the book. And mm-hmm. it makes me concerned about these characters going forward. Because I think last time I mentioned like Rand is the biggest problem with this first season because he's a complete milk toast, not like nothing burger character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas in, in the book, he's actually got a lot going on in terms of like his relationship with Tom, um, his like constant worrying about Matt, his sort of obliviousness to the fact that he's also kind of going crazy at the same time. But if you're paying attention, you see him acting like a lunatic sometimes. Um, and so like, it's like, they they did a good job of putting Tom Marilyn on screen, but they didn't seem to like get or or it, they either didn't have time or they didn't have the ability to get what Tom did for Rand particularly on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what's frustrating because I can see next season or a couple seasons from now when Tom comes back, they're going to have a whole like, Oh my God, because spoilers for again, a book that's been out for 20 years. Tom doesn't die. Um, He shows up again and it's like a big kind of heartwarming reunion. And they're going to try to recreate that. But Tom was around for like 30 minutes of screen time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I mean, yeah, I think that that's one of the, obviously it's, it's one of these things that is a huge limitation for any show, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you, you need to figure out the best way to really sort of parcel out um, who's going to, uh, you, you need to parcel out not only the screen time and the story beats and all that stuff, but also who has the ability to really sort of become bigger than just the, the, the lines in the script. Right. Right. Um, and, and, you know, like I do think that to a certain extent in this, I believe this is the fourth episode where they, the Matt and, and Rand run up against run into the, the, the mining town. Right. Yeah. So sure. already, already, I mean, like Rand is pinched three ways because he's got his own, his own, uh, you know, his own other character, uh, uh, Matt, uh, the, the, the actor is very good at sort of stealing, stealing the spotlight. Yeah. Um, you have Tom Marilyn who is also equally good, uh, at stealing the spotlight, um, and, and that's the thing. I think that there's, um, I don't know that they could really extend it much longer because then it becomes a problem of, okay, then we're, we're exposing the flaw that our actor, you know, <laughs> who's playing Rand is not emoting not or yeah, not really to yeah. carry it. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then, and then of course, of course, let me not forget the third, the triple threat is rounded out by none other than Izuka Hoyle, who is fantastic mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah. For like an, a, a, a one note character, she was an absolute screen, like screen stealer. Yeah. She stole, she stole this episode. Yeah. Like, like even, I would say that even, so like even the eyes of die stuff who, um, let, let's, uh, let me just jump ahead just quickly because uh, Logan is playing played by none other than <laughs> appropriately named Alvaro Morte. <laughs> uh, and that was a money heist is the, the name of the other show that he was in that I made have him no famous. Idea. I don't think I've seen him in anything before. Uh, he's like a Spanish actor. I think it's money heist. Okay. Uh, but obviously here he's like, you know, he's not, uh, he's, he's wearing the long hair and very brooding and whatnot. And, and yeah. actually this episode opens with him and you can see like, he's, he oozes charisma. Yeah. But it's like this so very, he, it's like a very sort of, um, under the surface style, style of charisma that, yeah. um, you can see how dangerous he could be. And it makes sense why he was able to convince a bunch of people that he was the dragon reborn and like start a successful rebellion. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is great. Like that's what the character needs to be. He needs to be super charismatic, but in a way where like, you just believe it radiates off of him. Yes. Yes. He is very good. That, that entire scene was like very good. The cold open of this episode was like the most hype. Well, there's one other moment later on that was equally hype. Another cold open, ironically. But this know, was one I, I, of the hypest moments. I think I know which one you're talking about. We could talk about yeah. that when that comes uh, comes about. I, yeah. I have my, Your I have thoughts. my, yeah, I have my <laughs> criticisms of that. But that's another story. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think that it's really interesting because it also uh, positions him as a bit of a tactician, right? 
Yeah. Uh, in the sense that he is using that charisma not to just simply uh, completely overrun and overbear, uh, you know, people who he's supposed to be convincing, but as a way to to persuade, which is much more dangerous and be, and come, you know, it bears fruit later on in the same episode. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he, I forget which, which kingdom it is. Uh, Gelden. Gelden. He, he basically confronts the king of, of Gelden and, uh, uh, yeah, he's like, oh, you want to kill me? You know, blah, blah. And like, he's, he's already hearing the voices and whatnot who are, you know, like urge him. Yes, you should kill him and blah, blah. And he, but he's, he's aware of them. And he goes like, oh, you would like that. And he decides, no, he's going to spare him and spare him because basically he's a king. He has like all these resources. <laughs> it's better to just sort of have him at his disposal yeah. rather than just kill him off. Right. Um, Which is really good too, because that's exactly what Rand does later in the series when he starts doing dragon reborn shit. And it's a, re I, I just loved that cold open because it's like, not only here's Loghain and here's what he's doing and here's what he's about, but also here's where this show is going. If they keep making it like, mm -hmm. this is the kind of interaction that Rand will be having where he has to like, balance force and persuasion to get people to to like rec recognize him as the dragon reborn and join his cause right mm -hmm. it's very right, good right. really yeah. good um but yeah so uh let, let's go back to the mining town real quickly beca because i want to talk about izuka hoyle as dana mm -hmm. and just like again like we were just talking about she's like a a side character that just basically like I think I think she even steals the show from Tom Marilyn, who mm. gets plenty of screen time. And actually, um, to your point about like being a mentor, it's it's a very sort of shallow um sort of moment. And I wouldn't say it's a shallow moment. I think it's just shallowly done, where it's like that that TV show thing where he showed you this thing once, and now you'll carry that lesson with you forever. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Where he basically convinces Matt not to steal something off a guy that somebody, you know, like some poor schmuck that got killed. It's uh, not and, just and a poor schmuck, Carlo. It's true. It's true. It's one of the fighting Irish. It's a um, dead ale. <laughs> like I said, the fighting Irish. The fighting Irish. I, I still, the, I still the, love. The desert Irish. <laughs> yes. I still love the fact that, that, uh, all, you know, like if people were freaking out about the, uh, freaking out about the Fre Fremen in, in Dune, wait until they get a hold of the Irish that live in the desert. Oh my God. Yeah. The, the, the Aiel. The whole. The, the ginger threat oh my god <laughs> what a, that's gonna be so weird but anyway yeah yeah i, I can't wait for that discourse to pop <laughs> um anyway so uh so basically the il has like this big huge amethyst um uh which is supposed to be you know, like valuable because matt you know just loves he loves stealing folks he just, just like, loves stealing he, yeah which yeah He's more of a gambler in the books, less of a thief, but it's fine. Well, he gambles with other people's money that he steals. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh, he convinces him not to sort of desecrate the corpse and how, you know, like he, they have yeah. this moment where, you know, fades to black. They, they, they bury the Aiel 
And, uh, you know, uh, Tom tells him, well, now that we've got him out of there and we're going to give him a proper burial, I'll, I'll turn my back. I'll, I'll look away and you do whatever you need to do, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, obviously Matt steals the, or takes the, the, the amethyst, uh, stone off of him because, you know, what's Nail going to do with that anyway? A dead yeah. one at that. He's a dead guy. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need any of that. Um, so anyway, uh, but so then we get this entire scene where like uh Dana is slowly sort of poking and prodding at uh you know they they come to her saying that well we'll do chores you know for room and board or some sort of a beer and some food right mm-hmm. and uh so she she pokes and prods and she's like oh you know here you could stay up here this is nice you know it's it's no one's going to hear you up here uh you know, whatever you two are up to. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I did, I did really like the nod to, you know, like the very matter of factly, like, yeah, you guys are together, right? Yeah. Uh, you guys are always, always bickering amongst each other. I, I figured you guys were together and he's like, no, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that was good. Like the, the Dana character I thought was great. Like they had to do some kind of dark friends or hunting Rand and Matt thing. And uh, they could have gone two ways with it. They could have kind of tried to replicate the way they did it in the book, which is these sort of monster of the week chapters where they roll into a town and like meet some random farmer character. <laughs> and they're like talking to him like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. How's it going? And then like they sleep in the barn and in the middle of the night, somebody shows up and tries to stab them. Right. <laughs> or like they, they they roll into a town and they just like happen to meet the one guy in the whole town who's a dark friend and he like lures them into an alleyway and that just happens like eight times. <laughs> you, or, just, you know, <laughs> you, you say this this way and all I'm thinking in my mind is Zoiks, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a d- 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 dark it's friend. It's a d- d- dark friend. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, but that is like there's just a solid solid chunk. Uh, in the book, that's just that. It's Matt and Rand wandering from place to place, meeting random people, and occasionally almost getting murdered. Um, and, uh, like, it works okay for me in the book because it, it's like, again, it's a lot of character development for Rand because he's Matt is slowly losing it more and more and more because of the dagger, and Rand is, like, solving problems and becoming somewhat more competent and capable. But in a show, it would be insufferable. And so I really like that what they did instead was they picked one, they decided to do like one little episode around like one, one dark friend of the week episode, right? We roll into a place, we meet some characters, we have a situation and then, but like they did not need to go so hard on like Dana being super charismatic and likable to the point where <laughs> I was like, is this going to be a recurring character? Like, is she going to join them? Like what's going on I, here? I was sad. Yeah. I was actually like sad when, when like <laughs> Tom Marilyn out of the shadows, zoop, there yeah. you go. Knife, knife through the throat. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was like, it was great. It, and that especially I think made the whole her being a dark friend thing work way better because it was it it really did capture the whole point of that sequence in the in the middle of the first book which is matt and rand can't trust anybody because anybody could be a dark friend and here it's like yeah the nicest person you've met like the coolest like person you've encountered so far other than tom Marilyn, also happened to be a dark friend um and i also really like the conversation she and rand have like i feel like (laughs) rand that's like the best 
character stuff that Rand gets to do in the entire first season. It's yes. just like sitting in this room talking to Dana about like his, you know, his it's, background and where he's from, and it's good. I mean, but that's that's sort of like the strength of having like uh, a uh, an actor like uh, you know Zuka Hoyle in there. Because like Rand isn't doing anything super different, but he's playing off of her. Yeah, and and I feel like she managed to elicit a better uh, sort of performance out of him. It, 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 this is a scene of two people talking in a room. Yeah, you know, this is the cliche, right? It's, right. But but it works so much better because it actually sort of it works to disarm you. As well as you know what's in the you know like disarm Rand as part of the the the, the plot beat, um, but it disarms you as well because you start to really sort of get to like her, and then she turns mm-hmm. it's like I, uh, you know, I should have not worn the braid, huh? It reminds you too much of her, and you're like, okay, this turned creepy. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just really good. Um, yeah, I have basically no complaints about that. And that's part, I think part of why this is one of my favorite episodes is like, it's the one episode where I really liked what was going on with Matt and Rand. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, also, uh, so, you know, now we, I guess we can get into the, like all the characters, like there's a lot of subtle character work. Uh, we could go on probably for another 45 minutes, just talking about character work, uh, done when, um, they they sort of take a detour and head towards the uh encampment where the um the members the 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 Aizadai from the red aja are holding Logain. yeah and they meet up with you know like their their compatriots so that moraine can be healed and whatnot because Aizadai can't heal themselves they right. have to be healed by another right uh so uh, okay so uh I, I did I like there is a lot of stuff going on in here and there part is. of part of what made it really uh stand out I feel is the sort of like the um the looseness of the scene where uh Nynaeve is sitting with the other warders and Lan. Yeah. Uh and and they're sort of like talking amongst each other and it feels very like you can feel like there's like camaraderie going on and and like lots of uh little shared histories happening there as well as like I forget which um what's what's her name the the green aja Oh Alana. Uh, Alana her she has two warders because she couldn't just pick one. Yeah. Uh, and and also I guess they're into each other as well. So yeah, that works out well. <laughs> also forecasts the weird polygamy stuff in the back half of the series. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is where we we start digging in and find out that uh, actually, like the green Aja and the Aesodai with the polygamy stuff was just actually, uh, you know, uh, Jordan exploring Mormonism in <laughs> fantasy worlds. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna get canceled for that. I'm sure, but anyway, possibly. But like I that yeah that whole sequence where um, Nynaeve is hanging out with the warders like she's sort of super uncomfortable around the ice to die, uh, and then she's just chilling hanging out with Lan is great and also like 
So a big complaint people have about Nynaven Land's relationship in the books is that it seems to go from like zero to 100 miles an hour, where like mm-hmm. they barely interact, like they interact, you know, starting about halfway through the book, they're together. But you don't actually see them interact that much in the book because, again, Nynaeve, Moraine, and Lan kind of disappear for a large chunk while Matt and Rand are dealing with Dark Friends of the Week. Um, but then, like, right toward the end, there's, like, this big moment where Lan is like, I love you, and, but I can't be with you because I carry death with me. i got to fight my war against the shadow. Here's my ring. Bye-bye. Right? <laughs> um and then like for the next four books nine is like i hate him but i love him oh my god um i, I hate moraine because you know whatever because Logan's her or lands her warder but in you, this you, the way you just said that you really i just realized that lan is absolutely like one of these stoic anime characters oh he totally is yeah <laughs> in no the books. he's he and absolutely here, is and here he's much more sort of like Honestly, like I was really, really taken aback by just how sort of um, rounded and humane and uh, he's so much better in the show. He's so cool too. <laughs> like he's yeah. just like, like the but but the the part of that I think is you get these scenes like where he and Nynaeve are just talking, and you get to see them actually develop a relationship and a rapport. Mm-hmm. And like it's great, and it it does a lot for Land's characterization. It does a lot for Nynaeve's characterization, and it's another one of those like slower moments where the show like there's not they don't talk about anything that's like super plot relevant. Um, he's just kind of telling her like about his whole deal and his life, and uh, and she's like, "Wow, that sounds pretty rough, man." <laughs> you know, they go <laughs> sit down with the other warders and drink for a while, uh, yeah. but it's good, and it's like. I can well, t- I, I can I can buy these people starting to get into each other based on this. Well, and and considering that, uh, isn't it like at the end of episode two where she sh- is it episode end of episode two or the beginning of episode three? I think where it's she right shows at the end up, of episode two. Yeah, yeah, where she shows up and she's like holding a sword to his to his neck and going like, yeah. uh, show me where they went," you know. Um, to to then like mere a mere two episodes later, you actually sort of buy that, yeah. Uh, and and the funny thing is, it's it's sort of like in the moment that scene where she's holding a sword to his neck isn't played for like this meet cute, right? Um, moment. It's actually played for menace, right? It's played yeah. for. He is aware that she will probably do something. Uh, to him, um, but but to um, uh, it's Daniel Henny, yeah, uh, who that's... plays Lan. Um, to his credit, uh, he actually makes like she approaches him in sort of like almost a contrite manner to ask him like he's doing some sort of ritual like a prayer or something like that, and she mm-hmm. asks him about it and so on and so forth. And he's like, yeah, this is the prayer that I say, you know, for all the seven towers of my fallen homeland, blah, blah, blah. And so on and so forth. He's just sitting there laying some heavy stuff. And she's like, well, you know, uh, now that you've laid this heavy stuff on me, I'm just going to tell you the one prayer that I do know. And she spouts a bunch of the old tongue. He's like, Oh, you know, the old tongue. Do you know what it means? Uh, And he tells her, it's like, (laughs) it's it sort of touch like it's it's sort of touches her because she's like oh yeah that would make sense yeah she was basically left behind by her parents before they were slaughtered or whatever yeah um 
And and basically the the last words they gave her were something along the lines of like, you know, your children will carry on, you know, and and you will live through them or something to that effect. Uh, yeah. So it's just like a really good sweet moment where they get to talk to each other and and we get like this is the thing that I I kind of one of the reasons I think I like I generally enjoy novels more than TV shows is because you get more stuff like this, right? You get more opportunities for characters to interact in ways that are not uh, driving the plot, where where they're more just being people. And I like that the show captured some of that. I wish, again, that it had captured more of that with, like, Tom Marilyn and Rand and, like, some of these other characters whose humanity becomes very important but isn't very well established. And mm -hmm. it's frustrating, especially when it's clear that they can do that really well. Like... They did it with Nynaeve and Land. They did it with like Dana in the mining town, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that um, to your point, I think that there is a weird um, pacing issue, right? Yeah. Where where you'll get these slower moments, and I wish, like I, I think you're right. I I honestly enjoy some of these slower moments. Uh, I, you know, sometimes uh, like this uh, upcoming scene where they have like the big battle and whatnot, it's sort of, they, I think that they do a, a good job. It's not like shot super interestingly or anything like that, but yeah. they, they try to do a good job of trying to hide how little budget they might have had <laughs> yeah. um, because it's supposed to be like a, a huge army that's coming to, 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 to rescue Loghain. Uh, but you only see like maybe 20 people at a time, you know, it's not like a huge, like, it's not like Lord of the Rings, yeah, yeah. Uh, you you know, Return like, of the King battlefield or whatever, you know? Yeah. You see a lot of people through like gaps in the trees. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine for what it is. And, and to be honest with you, like I wasn't coming to this thinking that it was going to have like a huge budget, right. uh, because I think it was pretty straightforward from the get go that like even the sets for um, the two rivers, um, they, they're fine for what they are, but they, they do look a little fantasy town, you know, sort of <laughs> yeah. generic fantasy town type of uh, setting, you know? Yeah. Sets, I should say. Um, but but in any case, you know, so you do get this battle. It it, it is sort of fun, uh, in in a very sort of low key way. Um, really, where this shines is as as I think I agree with you is in sort of like these smaller character moments and like the being able to elicit some of these performances out of out of the different actors is mm -hmm. is much better. I think. Uh, than the big, you know, set pieces and you know the, the battles and blah blah blah. We'll we'll I guess we'll see if this continues on to the uh, the the larger battles further on in the series. Um, we'll we'll see if it gets any more budget for that. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, but but I did enjoy like the that entire thing was uh, like Moraine uses it basically to. Uh, slip in and have a word with Loghain basically in private mm -hmm. uh, to be like, yeah, so what's your plan, buddy? What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what do you plan to do here? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's it's another really good like one of the things that I, I like about this whole sequence as well in the Aesidai camp is it does a good job of establishing that there is inter Aesidai intrigue, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really big part of the series is the conflict between different groups of Aes Sedai. And so having her kind of underhandedly get a one-on-one conversation with Loghain where she can gather some information for herself and not just have to like accept what Leandrin tells her, I mm-hmm. think is important. Um, I also think that this, this, like th- this was a clever way of introducing some of the different Ajas and some of the different attitudes that they have. Like they managed to introduce the green Aja pretty well, the yellow Aja sort of, but like the conflict between the blue and the red Aja is set up here um, in a way that doesn't feel super stilted, where it's like there's a really complicated problem that they have to deal with, which is this dude who can channel and they all have sort of slightly different attitudes to how they should solve it. Mm-hmm. Where like Leandrin's like, we should just gentle him immediately, which would be like strip away all his magic right now, even though that's not te- technically how we're supposed to do it. And meanwhile, uh, other people are like, no, 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 no. We got to follow the rules. Take him to the White Tower. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really enjoy that. And also like the the small beat where she realizes that um, the the uh, the Aes Sedai who had been knocked out are coming too. And she immediately like shifts to, oh, those voices that you heard or your madness and blah, blah, blah. And she's like immediately shifts to performing for her other yeah. uh, Aes Sedai sisters and immediately, you know, starts joining up with them because obviously that's, that's the right move for her. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it does a good job of showing how she is kind of a calculating scheming character. Um, which is important because that's like her her and Siwan, who we meet, I think, in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been doing kind of like a, a run around the entire White Tower for the last 50 years or something. And that's kind of like the backstory of the series is them figuring out who the Dragon Reborn is going to be. And so showing that she's not it's not just like she's been wandering around trying to find the dragon. It's like she has her own agenda that is secret from other Aes Sedai. She has her own priorities. Um, that's, that was all good. And I think this episode did a good job of giving us like a a high tension situation to establish that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, because there's, there's like, there's stakes that are happening that are not the stakes that are happening in the room that these two people are talking. Yeah. Uh, and so then that sort of is, you're aware that that's gonna, that may break through, but this is the thing that's really interesting right now. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's uh, also like the what sets up the the ending of this episode, which is a pretty good surprise, you know. Um, I do have to admit, uh, because uh, one of um, uh, Alana's uh, warders decides that uh, it, it is one of Alana's warders, right? Uh, who decides to uh, decides to try to attack him direct, attack Loghain directly. Um, and uh, so he basically stops him. You know, he stops the Loghain stops the attack, and then uh, something you don't see often in lots of lots of shows with explosions happening, which is that uh, he basically shatters the guy's uh, weapons, which are like these two twin axes that he likes to use, and the shrapnel just goes flying everywhere. Uh, and it j- basically just murks a bunch of Aes Sedai. 
uh, including Lan, sadly, uh, gets like his throat cut by like a, a piece of shrapnel. And when uh, Nynaeve walk, I forget if she walks in or she's in the background, sees that she just like freaks the fuck out and explodes with power and just heals everyone that's been healed and that that's been wounded and uh, stops the, like basically all the blood that he's leaked out from his neck uh, just flows right back into him uh, and just as good as new. And so, so is everyone else who got wounded. Uh, And that just like completely shakes Loghain sufficiently that he's completely stunned. Not, not physically stunned, just like mentally, like, at you know he's completely gone he's like oh like the the you know it's the 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 light of a sun or something like that is what he says and uh that's enough uh of an opening for the other uh Aes Sedai to basically uh stop him I, I just found it really funny because um th- that expenditure of power just un like she <laughs> completely undid her braid <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a funny detail, I think. Yeah, there that that sequence was cool. I think that uh, it did a good job of establishing a couple of things, which is like one, Nynaeve is incredibly good at healing people and at doing magic in general, but also like she is only extremely good at it under pressure, right? Um, and that's. Uh, Because, like, before this moment in the series, she hasn't really done any magic at all. Uh, I think Moraine has talked to her about how, like, you could be an Aes Sedai. You obviously have the potential, but she's been, like, reluctant to do it, and she hasn't actually channeled at all. Mm. Um, But whereas in the previous episode, we see Egwene, like, very easily, or at least, like, it seems like she very easily is able to, like, make a fire. Uh, Here, Nynaeve is only able to do anything once she thinks that a bunch of people just got murdered in front of her and she has to like save their lives, which is important because her character arc for the next, for like a lot of the series in the books is about learning how to use magic without being in like a heightened state of agitation. Yeah. Um, so well, she's supposed to be like a wild channeler or whatever. Yeah. She isn't trained. So she's developed like weird sort of coping mechanisms for how to use magic and, stuff i mean uh so yeah uh i guess she she just needs the pressure of a deadline of some sort um, <laughs> which which i'm sure yeah. that you you know exactly what that I, feels like i definitely don't understand that at all no, no not at never, all. never scrambled to do something right before it was due one time in my life <laughs> all right well so um i think that that's sort of um sort of rounds out the two episodes up until now um any last yeah. thoughts, Jeremy? Uh, what, what, do you, what did you? Uh, I mean, you 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 definitely liked episode four quite a bit. Uh, oh yeah, not quite as much as episode three, right? Yeah, I like I like episode four a lot. I think episode three is fine. It so, sort of has the problem of like needing to establish the three new kind of squads that we have of like Matt and Rand, and then Perrin and Nguyen and Nine of Land and Moraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think it has as much room for cool stuff to happen. I think that like introducing the Twatha Anne is is fine. I wish they had done more. Like there's some some gesturing in the direction of Perrin is sort of like curious about the way of the leaf or kind of 
you know, there's more of those Perrin doesn't like violence story beats that started when he, you know, accidentally manslaughtered his wife in the first episode. <laughs> but I think they really should have done more with that. Um, and they didn't do as much with it as I wish they had. But between, other than that and my, you know, general characterization frustrations that carry through the whole series, I think like three and four are pretty solid episodes. Four is probably my favorite of the, the whole eight episode season. Yeah, I, I I think I would agree with that uh, because I believe from here on out, it's sort of like this weird sprint. Um, and, well, and we could, sort of. Yeah, there's, we, we, there is. Yeah, we'll talk about it later, but like there's weirdness in that where like it's sprinting and then they're like stop for a really long time for some <laughs> stuff and then they'll like sprint again. And yeah, I mean, I also have to wonder because I, I think we had talked about this last time. Uh because there is sort of like that that same feeling in the book as well, where it and and I think we we discussed whether you know whether you know Jordan knew that he was going to be able to sell you know a series yeah uh, and, and he sort of like didn't know and so he sort of tacked on it it does feel like in it the feels book like that yeah that he tacked on like this sort of stopping point where. If it doesn't sell as a series, we could always stop here and that's, you know, that's that or something to that effect. I don't know. Anyway, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it, it may be like these weird um, echoes of the source material coming through the the adaptation, which is a weird thing because although I, I do also understand that maybe while they were filming, they weren't entirely sure if it was going to be you know, <laughs> picked up for a second season. But as of this moment, right, it's season it's three, three, three right? Yeah, they've uh, got two more seasons greenlit. So there is that. Um, yeah. I'm kind of hoping that, um, and we can maybe talk about this later too, but I, I'm very much hoping that they, now that they ha know that they have two seasons to work with, like at least two more that they mm -hmm. do uh, spend a lot more time on character and a lot more time on specifically like helping us understand who Rand even is, because I think that they missed some really good opportunities in episodes three and four to give, especially like I said, in the way they use Tom Marilyn to give us some of like Rand's actual personality beyond being generic villager fantasy protagonist boy um so yeah we'll see yeah i as of right now i still think that rand has uh harry potter problems you know yeah just absolutely. like he, he's not he's not really anyone yet and yeah yeah anyway yep i think i think that that should wrap it up for me um but uh, but speaking of uh, having to put endings on books, Jeremy, <laughs> talk to me about what you have coming up. Well, um, my first book, Hand of the Sun King, is currently available. Uh, still, you know, people are still buying it and it's been out for like five months. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the sequel, Garden of Empire, is coming out in August um from Galance in the UK and uh Jabberwocky Literary in the US. So that's kind of what I've got going on. But didn't you other than also, talking about Wheel of Time. Yeah, didn't you also <laughs> wasn't the uh, Hand of the Sun King uh also oh, yeah. up for like a Stabby Award or it something? It was. It was uh I'm sure right under the wire nominated for a Stabby Award for best debut novel. Did not win. I had no 
I did not for a minute believe that it could possibly win, uh, considering it was up against She Who Became the Sun, which did end up winning, which is like one of the biggest novels of the year. Um, and yeah, so it's like it's one of those things where you get nominated and you're really surprised and happy and like, oh, cool, great. And then you tell your family and they're like, oh, what do you think you're going to win? And I'm like, no, of course not. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For my own mental health, I do not believe I will win. <laughs> yeah. No, if I ever win an award, it'll be a wild surprise out of nowhere. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. There you go. But no, yeah, that was really cool. I, I didn't expect that. And uh, it's nice to be nominated for things. There you go. I mean, uh, so yeah, uh, congrats on that. Thank you. Um, and, uh, I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, your scholarship of wheel of time, uh, <laughs> next time around. How about that? The Sounds wheel, good. the wheel will turn and we will talk about this next episodes <laughs> five and six <laughs> in a couple yeah. of weeks. <laughs> See you then. All right. Well, thanks for having, uh, for, for coming on. Uh, I was going to say, thanks for having me on Jeremy. And I was like, no, I'm running the show. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on to talk some more about wheel of wheel of time. Uh, and, uh, we'll see you next time. Um, any last, uh, things you'd like to tell our pod side listeners? Uh, no, but like, it's go, a pretty good show. That's go, pretty much it. Go watch, go watch solid seven out of 10. Go go watch it. Go watch the show and go buy Jeremy's book if you haven't yeah, done so Yeah, buy already. my book. Buy my book. That's the main one. All right. Well, anyway, uh, I do want to thank you again, and uh, yeah. I'll thank Thanks everyone. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Always a pleasure. And uh, I do want to thank everyone for listening in this time, uh, and we'll catch you next time here at Podside.